3: Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. I'm Tommy Vitor. On today's show, Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown-Jackson sails through the first day of Republican attacks during her confirmation hearing. U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy joins to talk through the White House's plea for COVID funding in advance of a possible uptick in cases. And comedian director Judd Apatow will be here in studio for a special round of Take Appreciator. Hmm. How's that? That's That's cool. exciting. Before we start, uh, the first two episodes of Stuck with Damon Young are out now. Also exciting. Nice. First up, Damon talks to Nicole Hannah-Jones about all of the racial and economic factors at play when parents choose their child's school. Then, in the next episode, Damon is joined by Saida Grundy and Jason Reynolds to deconstruct all the weird, awkward, and terrifying racial anxieties people have about sex. New episodes every Tuesday. Follow Stuck with Damon Young only on Spotify.
4: I've not heard them yet, but the book is amazing, so I can't wait to listen.
3: Very excited. Damon's Very book, excited. that is. Also, check out a brand new episode of X-Ray Vision recorded live at South by Southwest. Jason and Rosie discuss the upcoming Moon Knight series, the new trailer for Marvel Studios' Ms. Marvel, and explore the historical and narrative importance of multiverses in fiction and comics. New episodes of X-Ray Vision drop every Friday. All right, let's get to the news. Supreme Court nominee Ketanji Brown-Jackson appeared before the Senate Judiciary Committee on Monday, to kick off the confirmation hearing that will determine whether she becomes the 117th justice and the first black woman to serve in the nation's highest court. Judge Jackson has been confirmed by the Senate three times already, when she was nominated to the U.S. Sentencing Commission in 2009, to the D.C. District Court in 2012, and to the D.C. Court of Appeals a year ago, where she was confirmed by a bipartisan vote of 53 to 44. She'll be confirmed again if all 50 Senate Democrats hang together, but the slim margin means that there's little room for error, which is why it's nice to have a confirmation veteran like Judge Jackson as the nominee. Here's a clip from her opening statement.
1: When I was born here in Washington, my parents were public school teachers. And to express both pride in their heritage and hope for the future, they gave me an African name, Kitanji Onyika, which they were told means lovely one. My parents taught me That unlike the many barriers that they had had to face growing up, my path was clearer. So that if I worked hard and I believed in myself in America, I could do anything or be anything I wanted to be.
3: What would you guys think of uh, Judge Jackson's opening statement? Love it?
2: Brings me no pleasure to report this. I think she blew it. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a mess and I think I'll have to
3: clean it up. (laughs) Tommy. (laughs) Do you, have a, do, you have, do you have a dissenting view?
4: Dissenting <laughs> view, yeah. I mean, I, there's very few people probably in the history of this process who are better prepared than Judge Jackson was. ABA, well qualified, fourth confirmation hearing, um, recently got a bipartisan vote. You know, like day one is always the least fireworks day. It's a lot of speeches from very old U.S. senators, opening statement from the nominee. But like what I took away from her remarks were, I remember, you know, her adorable family. It was, uh, she was talking about her college friends who were there. She talking about her speech coach, her younger brother, did uh, two tours in the army. It was touching to hear her talk about, like, trying to get the balance right between being a mom and, and being a professional and failing sometimes. You know, it was a lot of focus on, on that personal. And, you know, she pledged to make equal justice under the law a reality. Hard to argue with that in an opening statement. You know, we'll get into Josh Hawley and some of the jerks later, but... Very good performance. Jokes aside, it was personal.
2: It was poignant. It was moving. You felt the history as she described, what her parents had been through. You felt it when she talked about being a mom. You felt it when she talked about not always feeling like she got the work balance right as a mom on her way to this place. And the whole thing was just one big dare to these fucking smug pricks to vote against her. It's <laughs> it yes. just unbelievable.
3: I should say, to your point about all the speeches, Tommy, there were no questions today, which is one reason Zero why questions. I, the opening day, there's just is such a weird way I to do the process. Literally, a speech from every senator on the Judiciary Committee, and then uh, a a short ten minute statement from Ketanji Brown Jackson at the end, and that was it. That we called it a day. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, could have been an people email. People love to fucking hear it's themselves a, talk.
2: It's a meeting that could have been, been an email. email. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: but no, I thought I thought the, the statement was wonderful. You know, she 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 took great pains to emphasize her judicial independence. And there were some nice touches. You guys mentioned sort of the the family uh, stuff that she talked about and her in her background. You know, she also talked about how her opinions are long. Uh, because she believes in transparency and mm-hmm. she believes in the importance of having each litigant know that she has heard them, which I thought was really nice. Um, you know, She emphasized her 10 years as a judge. There was a nod to history and that she mentioned that she stands on the shoulders of Constance Baker Motley, the first black woman to argue with the Supreme Court and the first appointed to the federal judiciary who happens to share a birthday with Ketanji Brown Jackson. So there's a lot of nice touches in there. Uh, uh, in, her, in her opening statement. How would you guys characterize the confirmation strategy um, based on the statements from Jackson and all the Democratic senators on the Judiciary Committee? What are they all going for here?
4: I mean, well, I think uh, Justice Alana Kagan... Once wrote in a book about the process, the safest and surest route to the prize lay in alternating platitudinous statement and judicious silence. <laughs> That's really good. John Roberts gave similar uh, advice to Sandra Day O'Connor when she was before the Senate. So they, the the nominees try to say as little as they possibly can uh, without insulting anybody. And you know the the Democrats are obviously on board, if not thrilled with the pick. There was some very emo moments from Lindsey Graham. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay's still working through some things yeah this is again you know a, a confirmation hearing that could have been a, a therapy session he's still very mad about all, Brett kavanaugh you you kind of it gives away the game a little their decision to bring out kavanaugh
2: at this moment is a way to score a point that actually does nothing to help them in this hearing it's like not strategic wait, wait, wait. which is which kind of tells you that where this is where this is heading
4: what do you guys make of this that they're trying to be like the civility party after four years of Trump. Like just, I think they, they sincerely
3: because they've learned that they can you can be a hypocrite on anything and no one cares about hypocrisy because just, no one oh, has any kind of memory it's anymore. So, funny. so they just they, they're oh, shameless. Did, it's shameless.
4: I
2: I I think of course they are shameless. I think they genuinely I think it is a genuine not not just for the cameras, a genuine article of faith on the right that Bork to Clarence Thomas, to Brett Kavanaugh, to Harry Reid, uh, nuking the filibuster for lower court judges is the story of of left wing radicalism on the court, I think that I don't, I don't agree with it, but I think they genuinely have internalized that they
3: believe it. They believe Kavanaugh was a culmination of that. They talk about it all the time. I mean, they talked about it today a lot, but they have. You, Lindsey Graham has been saying it since the Kavanaugh hearing. No, of course. Every time you get him in front of a camera. No, no, <laughs> no I'm saying reporter. this is their yeah. sincere. Yeah, 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 this is right. their sincere story. They really believe it. But anyway, but back to the Democrat strategy here, and because we'll, we're going to get to the, with the Republican attacks in, in a second, I, I do think. They are trying their hardest to sort of present her as a qualified historic nominee whose judicial philosophy is right in the mainstream. You know, they keep saying that over and over again. Uh, Patrick Leahy of Vermont, former judiciary chairman himself. uh, He said that she's no judicial activist and is not anti-law enforcement or soft on crime. They've They've all mentioned how she was been praised by conservative judges Lawyers from both sides, prosecutors and defenders who've been in front of her, they've talked about how she comes from a law enforcement family. They've mentioned that these uh, law enforcement groups, police groups support her, have put yeah. out in statements of she support. she got the
4: paternal Police so, so endorsement, re- has uh, relatives who are cops.
3: Yeah, and you can really, uh, you can tell that this is sort of confounding Republicans a bit. Like Mitch McConnell at one point said... You know, I interviewed her and she said she has no judicial philosophy, but then all of her backers are saying that it's mainstream. So which is it? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> that's you, is it no philosophy that's or a really mainstream fun. philosophy? <laughs> I gotcha. That's fun. Um But, you know, Senate Republicans keep saying they want to treat Judge Jackson with respect and avoid personal attacks. They're taking great pains to say that, which is, you know, something they continue to mention as a way to complain about Kavanaugh. Uh, But in their opening statements, a number of them went after Jackson's record on affirmative action, child pornography, the representation of Guantanamo Bay detainees and her position on expanding the Supreme Court. Take a listen. Her supporters look at her resume and deduce a special empathy for criminals. I guess that means that government prosecutors and innocent crime victims start each trial at a
5: disadvantage. So the next morning there were headlines all over the country, really, accusing Judge Kavanaugh of being basically Bill Cosby. None of us are gonna do that to you. When it comes to free speech, this committee should inquire, will you protect the rights of Americans to speak, to say unpopular ideas, to say ideas That the government doesn't want you to say that you nonetheless have a right to say. Will you protect freedom or restrict it? They have the most radical view of what a judge should do, and you were their choice. And you'll be asked, do you support expanding the Supreme Court? I hope you'll give us an answer, because it shouldn't be hard. Either you do or you don't.
3: States versus Hawkins. This was a child pornography case where the defendant distributed multiple images of child porn, possessed dozens more, including videos. The federal sentencing guidelines recommended a sentence of 97 to 121 months in prison. Prosecutors recommended 24 months in prison. Judge Jackson gave the defendant three months in prison. So, can you guys uh, detect a Republican strategy here for a hearing that, you know, seems like it will result in a confirmation?
4: Yeah. Well, just, it's funny. It's, it's interesting to me that uh, Lindsey Graham, it never occurs to him that maybe the distinction between the two hearings, that there's no credible allegation of sexual assault in this yeah, one. That's, maybe that that's one why it's not coming up. Hasn't I mean, been mentioned. You know, look, uh, the, the Republicans calling Democrats soft on crime is a very, very old story. Uh, you know, it's sort of, it was weaponized during Nixon and Reagan, but it's something we see all the time. So clearly, that's the angle they're going for. They're trying to demonize her record as a public defender. She would be the first public defender ever on the Supreme Court. That's actually an exciting thing. It's full of prosecutors normally, and I think you would think that conservatives who, like limited government, would think that there is uh, some value in protecting your average citizen from the overwhelming power of the state to prosecute you and throw you in jail for life. But no, they would rather demagogue that and, and, and go after rulings perceived as lenient. And then Josh Hawley is just really into child porn at what, the hearing what as an, issue,
3: is it, what as is an a, issue. What's up with this child pornography attack from Josh Hawley? Uh, and, and, and why has it already been widely discredited?
2: Yeah, so I I had the good fortune of not seeing the attack directly. The first thing I saw about it, believe it or not, was an article in National Review by Andrew McCarthy, who is a right-winger, a right-wing legal analyst. Opposes Katanji
3: brown Jackson's nomination. Opposes
2: the nomination, has been uh, one of the most ferocious right-wing <laughs> conservatives uh, uh, there is. And what what he said was the implication that she has a soft spot for sex offenders who prey on children because she argued against severe mandatory minimum prison sentence for the receipt and distribution of pornographic images is a smear. So he decided it was a smear. He's, he said, meritless to the point of demagoguery. Uh, <laughs> and... uh yeah, I mean, that's
4: and, well, put it put, it, put it in Josh Hawley's Wikipedia. <laughs> and specifically, what, one of the things that Josh Hawley did that was most egregious was he took screenshots of her quoting back witness testimony and suggested that these were her opinions that she was stating when, in fact, she was repeating back to a witness what the witness had said in the form of a question. So
3: that is really incredibly misleading. Completely out of context. So that's that. And then on the sentencing itself, Hawley argues, just so everyone knows, that that she handed down lighter sentences on child pornography cases, lighter than the Justice Department was seeking or the U.S. sentencing guidelines recommended, but her sentences in five of the seven cases were the same as or greater than what the U.S. probation officer recommended, and most judges in the country— conservative or liberal, issue sentences below the guidelines, including many judges that Josh Hawley and other Republicans have confirmed. Judges issue below guideline sentences in child pornography cases in nearly 80 percent of cases in Washington, D.C., where Katanji Brown-Jackson sit, and 77 percent of cases in Missouri where Josh Hawley, senator and confirmed all the judges there.
2: <laughs> and, and like, you know, we are trying to figure out as a society how to unravel the fact that we live in a police and prison state why do we uh, why, what what are the politics that led to it it's this kind of politics it's yeah. it's mitch McConnell saying that you must be friendly with criminals uh because uh you were a public defender uh like john adams in the boston fucking massacre uh, uh something i learned from hbo <laughs> and and then you have and then and you and you see how judges and prosecutors face this incredible pressure to never use common sense to never show mercy in certain cases putting this specific uh, the, the, these specific cases aside to to throw the book at people because at some point someone like Josh Hawley will come along and try to right. demagogue the issue no matter what the no matter what the case no matter no matter uh, uh, what your record may be
4: the people who tend to hate mandatory minimums the most are judges. Because it takes away their ability to be rational, reasonable people and to take into account circumstances that are specific to a case. So Holly also goes after her because she was part of this U.S. sentencing commission that recommended some changes to the way mandatory minimum laws were enforced, the the duration of them, etc. The problem with that attack is that the... Commission was bipartisan and every recommendation was unanimous, Unanimous, which led to Judge William Pryor, who's a right wing Republican. I remember him being the subject of a huge U.S. Senate fight back in the day coming out to defend Judge Jackson, saying we worked by consensus. And that is a tradition of the sentencing commission. Virtually all of our votes were unanimous and data driven. So, Josh Hawley, you insufferable dick. This is the reality,
3: and this is you know, this was the this was the child pornography uh, set of cases. They're also going to go after her uh, in the days to come on uh, defending uh, Guantanamo Bay. Uh,
1: yeah,
4: Gitmo, because that's detainees. that's gone really well.
3: You know, and there was another Reagan-nominated appeals judge who released a statement today and said, "When a lawyer represents an unattractive defendant, a Guantanamo detainee, as an example, that's just a public defender doing their job. That's what a public defender is. You are assigned to to give people the representation that is their right in the Constitution."
2: Like John Adams in the Boston Massacre. Paul Giamatti was wonderful in that moment. I mean, but, the, but, but just uh, one, one, one other point about this, too, which is I, I do think Josh Hawley knows exactly what he's doing. There's a reason he chose this issue for us. He knows who he's playing footsie with. He knows that he is throwing a little chum in the water for the QAnon people. I think Mitch McConnell uh, talking about uh, soft on crime, Marsha Blackburn saying you have a hidden secret agenda uh, to do critical race theory. They are also very comfortable uh, exploiting the fact that this is a black woman. Uh, who makes their base fundamentally uncomfortable. So they all know
4: exactly what they're doing. Race is swirling in all of this. And and certainly, I'm sure, uh, explicitly, implicitly, one way or the other, is guiding their approach. The the Gitmo thing really bugs me, though, because Guantanamo Bay is a a decades-long just travesty of justice. And the idea that you would attack someone for defending someone imprisoned there, considering how many people have been held wrongly, have been tortured, have been just kept in sort of a, a, a legal liminal space between, you know, reality and hell. It's just, it's a horrible, horrible thing. Um, and uh, shame on all of them for demagoguing it, but the politics of terrorism in this country are still a disaster after this many years after
3: 9-11. And look, I think they are doing this knowing that she's probably going to be confirmed. Someone asked Joe Manchin after the hearing what he thought about the Josh Hawley stuff, and he was like, uh, you sure it was Holly? right? Take that for what it's worth. Like, just, he, you know, Joe Manchin's not buying it, right? So... But I don't think it's about her necessarily. They're using her for these attacks. You know, the New York Times reports that Democrats believe the Republican attacks on Judge Jackson and other Biden judicial nominees are quote, tied to a central element of Republicans midterm campaign strategy, which is to blame Democrats for an increase in crime by portraying them as unwilling to punish lawlessness and hostile to law enforcement. Um, how should Democrats handle these attacks knowing that they are connected to a larger midterm case that Republicans are trying to make about Democrats as soft on crime?
2: Well. I feel like you have to split that in half. There's how do Democrats handle this around the hearings and it's how the Democrats handle it more broadly. I assume that there will be pushback in this hearing. And uh, as of right now, Judge Jackson has not had the opportunity to uh, push back against what is an offensive and despicable attack from Josh Hawley. And I expect that that will be a a moment beyond that. I think we're going to make a positive case for why this is a historic nomination of a judge in the mainstream as tommy said at a great victory for joe biden and a great victory uh
4: for democrats and
2: beyond that like how much do we have to really engage in this
4: i guess uh, maybe i guess i don't really buy that they're trying to make this some part of a big midterm case I think they're trying to get through this and yeah. get on to the next one because I think what's really happening here is like Lindsey Graham is out there saying this is a new game for the Supreme Court and that's why he is talking about the Brett Kavanaugh hearing he's saying I'm gonna drop the Artivist now I know I voted for her but now it's, it's just hand to hand combat at these things and it's gonna be as partisan as we want it to be and blah 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 that's the way forward now I'm actually fine with that. I'm tired of the theater around this bullshit. I'm tired of pretending judges are nonpartisan actors while Ginny Thomas like storms the Capitol and lies and pretends she doesn't talk to Clarence Thomas about what's going on. Like, I don't think this is going to have any
3: factor in the midterms. I really don't.
4: I hope he got my flowers. <laughs> Which who? Clarence? I think oh. it's.
3: I disagree. I think it's. I think it's. Um. I think they're building a case. I think. Is it someone? Is some midterm voter going to remember what happened in the hearing with some Man. question? No, probably not. Um, but they're going to talk
4: about defund the police. But I just going to be unrelated to this.
3: They're going to be crime is up and Democrats are defunding the police. They are nominating judges, not just Ketanji Brown Jacksons. All these judges, these public defenders, who let people off. Uh, these mayors did it, these so-called progressive prosecutors that they're trying to recall. It's, a it's big all news. part of a case. It's, it's a, thing, it's
2: of a of big it. news cycle. They're not going to waste it. Yeah, yeah. They're not, and They're I don't not going to
3: waste it trying to actually defeat her because they don't think they can. And I don't think that what Democrats can afford to do is do what some very online people do with inflation and gas prices and pretend that uh, rising uh, murder rates are not something that people are actually concerned about or not a legitimate concern for people to have, because I think you're seeing it in the polling everywhere that it actually has become a concern for a lot of people.
4: Oh, of course. I, look, I, I agree that people are concerned about crime. People always vote on crime. I think if you're going to go for a shiny object in the midterm to tell a story about Democrats who are soft on whatever, you're going to go for like Chesa Boudin, who's the you know district attorney in San Francisco, or you know, you're going to look at some of these other examples that seem you're, you're going to find some sort of detail in one of these stories that is you know, sounds terrifying and abstraction. I just don't think you're going to get it at her because she's incredibly good at this.
3: Yeah, I just want Democrats to to fight back on this and not avoid it. Like I think you well, know Biden for, did it in this in the
4: State of the Union, right? I mean, he's out there. We're going to fund the police. We're not
3: going to yeah. defund the police. Well, Biden's I, already getting ahead you know, of these D, attacks. Dan and I talked about that a little bit, but what I wish he had done in the State of the Union is, it's it's fine to say I'm I'm against defunding the police. You can also talk about how you're also for police reform and criminal justice reform. Like you can be out there and say you can be pro police reform. And also pro public safety, like for sure. you, you know, we can we can keep people safe from crime and police misconduct. That there sh- shouldn't be a choice. And also, by the way, the six states with the highest per capita murder rate all went for Trump in right. twenty twenty. Well, this whole the... thing, this blue cities, blue states, that's the Trump set... states and Trump cities that have had higher murder rates over the last couple of years. So don't make it some Democrat run city thing.
2: That is where that is where I think that's on Democrats. That's also that's on the media, which has fully kind of embrace the right wing kind of talking points about where this is coming from. The fact that, that, you know, rural counties have seen the same uptick that some of the more yeah. uh, 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 sort of progressive cities have seen. Like I, I, you know, there's, there are these jokes you see where people say there's a moment now, like where I feel like that there, that this right wing idea that this is a failure of progressive cities and not a broad national trend has been so internalized that mm-hmm. like, I hear it myself. I'm like, no, you want to blame your local person. You want to blame the mayor. You want to blame the DA. Fine. Take issue with whoever you want to take issue with. But this is a national a problem. National you are buying Tucker Carlson's talking points. Yep. And we have done a very bad job of pushing back against it. Because, that. we, to, because we try to avoid
3: the issue and say, oh, yes. it's not a real issue. It's made up by the right wing. So we avoid it instead of taking on the argument, like you just said, and saying it's a national issue. And by the way, it's even worse in some red states.
4: Yeah. And look, the, but a lot of this, again, is, is goes back to race. Because Republicans always go to look at Chicago. Look at the homicides oh, there. Of right? They make it a City issue. The challenge, I think, for Republicans who try to demagogue this, maybe it'll be a challenge, maybe it won't, is that you've already got Tom Cotton out there attacking Donald Trump and the first Step Act in the very limited criminal justice reform that he put in place. So I, I don't know. It's sort of like a muddled message. I, I do think that they're going to focus on cities and defund fund and all the things we've been hearing at midterms and in, in, the, in the general election. I, I don't, you know, who's, who knows if it'll work or not. I agree we should take it on. I just... um My guess is this hearing is not a part of that.
3: Well, I do think, I think the hearing is a lesson. And I think that the way that so far uh, Judge Jackson and the Democrats are handling it in this hearing is good. And effective, yeah, yeah and for it's sure. A, and it's a lesson for Democrats and, and look, in the midterm.
4: Josh Hawley being an idiot made it easier because he was so sure. dishonest and so egregious with this yeah. stupid Twitter thread yeah. that he he embarrassed himself. I think he kind of embarrassed McConnell and the party who were not, they were they were signaling that they didn't want to go down this kind of gutter route, and then he just went right there. I agree. Yeah, I mean, like stepping back from all of this,
2: what's their strategy? Ted Cruz is mad about Kavanaugh and cancel culture. Yeah, no,
4: I, yeah. uh, uh,
2: Josh Hawley's making up stuff about you know uh, 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 misquoting her and trying to drum something up that's pretty pretty heinous. They're trying to soft on crime. Marsha Blackburn's on CRT. The answer is they're all over the fucking place because they think she's going to end up on the Supreme Court. No, I,
3: thought, we, I, I, I included that clip from McConnell at the beginning of that supercut, which wasn't from today, it was from some other, because I actually thought it was the only quote that sort of summarized what they hoped the thing is, which is just soft on crime. But all the Yahoo's on the committee—they all went their own route. They're yelling about Kavanaugh. They're talking about CRT. They're doing this. I don't think it was well coordinated. <laughs> and,
4: and, and this is this is why being a Democrat's annoying because because of alliteration, we always get the Democrats in disarray. Republicans are all over the place. They're screwing up a Supreme Court hearing in, in, yeah. with their mixed messages. And, and they're not, not playing a strong
3: of, hand anyway. They
4: don't no, have the votes. No, so she's, you're, she's you've eminently voted. well qualified, and, and they all and, just voted for. Her.
2: And, and and you know. The White House isn't saying right, but the hope here is that they get a couple of Republican votes. They're not going to get Josh Hawley. But there's a few Republicans no, they on might the get line Susan, here.
3: They might get Susan Collins. Tom Tillis from North Carolina was just glowing today about her, which I was surprised about. You know, I guess he just won re-election, um, but said something really nice. There's a couple of retiring Republican senators. You might get a vote or two. I Whatever.
4: think Collins voted for her, right, Collins, previously? Collins, Murkowski, and Graham Murkowski voted for and him.
3: Yeah. yeah, so we'll see.
4: And Graham's just out there whining, like, oh, if you'd named someone from South Carolina, I would have voted for her. Like, <laughs> okay. Who knows? So ge- might,
3: geography is all you care about?
4: Yeah. What Who a more thoughtful way to approach this.
3: Um that guy's that guy's lost the plot. He could be a yes, he could be a no. We'll yeah, see. We don't know. He could be. Um all right, when we come back, uh Love and I will talk to US Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy about the latest in COVID.
0: Doors take us to summers away or winter adventures and afternoon getaways. Your dedicated Fidelity advisor can help you open those doors by working with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential because doors were meant to be opened. Visit fidelity.com slash wealth investment minimum supply Fidelity brokerage services, LLC member NYSE SIPC.
3: COVID cases and hospitalizations in the U.S. are currently at their lowest level since last summer. But with the even more transmissible Omicron subvariant BA two causing a spike in Europe, the White House wants to prepare for a possible case increase here by adequately funding the supply and distribution of vaccines, treatments, surveillance, and testing. Unfortunately, that funding was stripped out of a government funding bill that passed the other week, and now Republicans say they won't support the COVID spending. Here to talk to us about this madness, as well as where we are in the pandemic, U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy.
6: Dr. Murthy, welcome back to the pod. Well, thanks so much. It's good to be back with you, John.
3: It's good to have you. Uh, Dr. Fauci said over the weekend that we can expect BA2 to cause an uptick in cases here, but not another surge. Do you agree? And and why do you think that might be the case?
6: Well, I do think that we should expect in the months ahead, uh, that because COVID has not disappeared entirely, that there will likely be uh, rises in cases and falls in cases. How high those uh, case numbers go uh, will really depend on the nature of the variant and on our behavior, frankly. But the key is that we are trying to prevent, most importantly, people from ending up in the hospital and losing their life to the virus. And the good news, John, is that in our toolkit, we have these vaccines, boosters, and treatments that actually work very well uh, to protect people from hospitalization and death. The real question is going to be, can we get enough people to utilize uh, these vaccines, boosters, and treatments? Uh, We've had, you know, basically two-thirds of the country that's gotten vaccinated, uh, you know, with at least one shot uh, and mostly two. But we need people to get that third shot, that booster dose, uh, because especially with a a, a variant like Omicron, it turns out that third dose is especially helpful. And lastly, John, we've made a lot of strides to making the therapeutics, the oral and IV medicines available uh, for people. And these have been uh, really a lifesaver, literally. Uh, But the key is to keep all of this going, the vaccines, the boosters, the the medications that help save lives. We need to sustain our funding uh, for this. Otherwise, all the work that's been put into discovering, manufacturing, and distributing these uh, tools, uh, unfortunately, uh, will go to waste if people don't have access to it.
2: So so that's the context for why public health officials have been so alarmed to see this funding stripped out of the of the spending bill that had to pass. Uh, can you talk a little bit more specifically, like, what happens if Congress doesn't put this money in place? What does it go towards uh, right now?
6: It's a really good question. And, and I'm glad we're talking about this because one of the most important lessons that we have learned from COVID, a lesson frankly that we have been reminded of again and again whenever we've had an outbreak, whether it was Ebola or Zika, is that we have to not only think short-term but also long-term when it comes to public health. We've got to make sure that we are uh, not short-changing the long-term investments we have to make in everything from vaccine production to data infrastructure uh, to the partnerships that we need. Uh, and if we don't get the funding uh, to continue this effort, here's what you're going to see. Uh, we are already uh, you know, on the verge of running out of money for the therapeutics. We've had to actually reduce uh, the distribution of some of the monoclonal antibodies, uh, because again, we don't have the funds to purchase more of those. Uh, the second is we won't be able to purchase more of uh, the oral therapeutics, the Paxilvin in particular, beyond the 20 million that we've already secured. That's a highly effective medicine. We need to be able to get more of that to make it available. When it comes to vaccines and booster themselves, Uh, If there is a recommendation that the the FDA ultimately makes uh, for another booster shot for the broader population, we will not have enough money uh, to purchase and make available uh, that additional booster shot for the whole population. The list goes on. Testing is another area where we've done a good job, I think, in making sure people now have access to tests. We need to sustain that. We saw how tough it was when people didn't have sufficient access to tests in the early days of Omicron. We can't afford to live through that again. So however you look at it, uh, the funding is really critical. And these are the most immediate needs. But we want to continue our surveillance. Also, if we want to make sure that we're investing in supporting uh, the uninsured uh, and making sure that they don't have to pay in order to get life-saving treatments and vaccines, we have to make sure that funding continues.
3: What's the White House's plan to get this funding passed? I mean, the Republicans sound like they don't want to support it obviously hard, to, you can't get anything done in Congress without 10 Republican votes in the Senate. Like, are there any backup plans in case Congress acts like Congress and, and doesn't get this done? Is there money that we can shift from somewhere else? Like, what, what's the what's the plan?
6: Yeah, it's a really good question, John. Well, I will say that multiple you know individuals from the White House, the Department of Health and Human Services across the board have been engaging with the Hill for weeks uh, in an effort to try to move this legislation uh, for funding forward in order to make the case and help people understand why it's so dire uh, that we make sure there's not a funding gap here. The truth is that we are actually quite limited in what we can shift over. Uh, if we were, if we wanted to take the money that's actually allocated for states and lo- local uh, government and com- community support and shift that over to vaccines and therapeutics, that would actually require Congress to act as well, to provide the authority to shift those funds. So this is actually a, a difficult position. It's not like there is, a large pot of unused money that the administration at will can take uh, and supply, uh, you know, for the vaccines and therapeutics and fill that need entirely. So uh, we really do need Congress. Zach. This isn't a, um, you know, this isn't a fire drill. This is the real thing.
2: So right now, Omicron is causing these massive case increases in countries like South Korea that have had universal mass mandates and some of the most restrictive public health measures uh, anywhere in the world. In January, Dr. Fauci, just back from opening a biolab in Ukraine, said that Omicron <laughs> will at some point, he didn't, his, did his face move at all? Not even, a, <laughs> didn't even, didn't even adjust at all. Uh, that, that, that everybody, regardless of what public health measures are in place, will at some point, uh, that Omicron will find their way to them. Does that make tools like vaccines and treatments more important than some of these restrictions? There is a debate going on, right? You see this da- data out of, out of places like South Korea, which basically show that like, Omicron has obliterated public health measures and what and we're left with are therapeutics, we're left with the vaccine, we're left with some of these treatments. Where do you fall on that debate right now?
6: Well, it, look, it, one thing that this the whole conversation points to is that you've got to continue uh, evaluating and updating your guidance and your point of view as the data shifts and as the virus shifts. And what we saw with Omicron is that this is an incredibly transmissible virus and It does actually has evaded uh, some of our immune response, some of our vaccines and therapeutics at times. Uh, The good news is we've found ways around that. But what what you're pointing at is that getting the vaccine and in particular getting boosted is extraordinarily important uh, in terms of saving lives and hospitalizations when it comes to Omicron. Uh, It doesn't mean that masks don't work. Uh, It doesn't mean that ventilation isn't important. Those things still do reduce risk. But when you're dealing with a tougher foe, what we have found is that getting vaccinated and boosted—that is the best way to reduce your risk of ending up in the hospital or dying. Uh, so that's what we've got to focus on. If you look at Hong Kong, if you look at, uh, you know, in particular, part of the reason they're seeing such a significant, uh, you know, number of people hospitalized and losing their life is because their vaccination rate among the elderly is quite low, markedly lower than than ours, in fact. Uh, but in countries which had a high vaccination rate, in particular those that chose a highly effective vaccine, and we are blessed to have those here in the United States, even though they may be seeing a large wave of Omicron, uh, there has been a disproportionately uh, disproportionate rise in the hospitalization and deaths, meaning far, more, uh, far much more of an increase in cases and much less of an increase in hospitalizations and deaths. That just shows us that good vaccines are really the backbone uh, of our uh, effort to protect people against uh, Omicron. And other variants of COVID.
3: I've heard some people ask, why did we relax public health measures like mandatory indoor masking right before BA2 becomes dominant here? Can you talk about the CDC's thinking in changing their community transmission guidelines? Because I think some of the debate focuses on the politics of whether people are tired of COVID or not, or want more masks or not. And in reality, the CDC, there was some science And some public health thinking that went into changing those guidelines. Can you talk about those for people?
6: Absolutely. And look, I can understand uh, why people, you know, might be asking questions and why some people may not feel comfortable uh, with the measures. We've been at this for two years, and people are are actually, uh, you know, in many ways, there's quite a diversity of thought among the general public in terms of where they are. Some people want uh, want the pandemic to be over yesterday and think that it already is. Other people. Uh, Believe that the pandemic will never be over, and that we should never ratchet down our precautions. Or a lot of people in the middle. Uh, So, but here's what to know about why the CDC made its decision. From from the very beginning, the CDC had actually said that the guidelines that it puts out uh, for when to use measures like masks that that should reflect uh, people's risk in the community. And they have been looking at the evolving data to understand what the risk actually is to people. We all knew. That when cases go down that that means lesser risk that um that you may get infected from someone in their community but they were also reflecting i think our, our evolving understanding that the most important goal that we have here is to save lives and keep people out of the hospital to prevent the severe illness and so the in the beginning they had a metric for you know guiding them on precautions that was based solely on cases what they did is they didn't jettison that they didn't say okay case counts no longer matter They still have a measure of case counts in their overall algorithm for determining community risk. But they also now include hospitalization rates and hospital capacity. Uh, So those three metrics together, cases, hospitalization rates, hospital capacity. This reflects the updated uh, data and our, our most important focus, which is on saving lives and keeping people out of the hospital. And that's what people are using now in communities across the country. With all that said, one last point that's really important to underscore. Uh, their guidance does not mean that people who choose to wear a mask in a particular situation because they're at high risk or they live with somebody who's high risk that that is the wrong decision in fact we want people to have the freedom to do that what's really key though is that they have access to high quality masks and that's why the administration's move to make sure that millions of masks were distributed high quality masks and made freely available to people in the public was so important because we don't want to create equity issues uh by you know by by not essentially providing the key tools people need to protect themselves
3: and if you are vaccinated boosted and wearing a high quality mask like an n95 or a kn95 that is very very protective right even if other people around you aren't necessarily wearing masks
6: yeah so and let's talk about protective against what right if you are vaccinated fully if you have gotten your basic series of the vaccine and you're boosted as well Uh, then your protection against hospitalization or death is very high. If you are on top of that, wear a high quality mask when you're with people outside your household, then your risk goes down even further, uh, even if they are not wearing masks. And so this is, you know, we have good tools uh, is the bottom line. And people are going to make different decisions here. You know, some people uh, may have, you know, low, uh, you know, sort of threshold of risk and they may decide, you know what, I'm going to keep wearing my mask. Uh, And there may be different reasons for that. Maybe they have a child at home, uh, like I do, who's under five, and they might be worried about them because the vaccine's not available to them. Maybe they're a caregiver for someone who's immunocompromised in their home, or maybe they themselves are immunocompromised. And I make this point just because we're going to see people moving at different rates when it comes to their choices around some of these mitigation measures. And it's really important that we not ridicule people uh, if they choose to wear a mask in school. I'm actually a little bit worried about schools themselves, because we've got to make sure that kids also... Don't ridicule others uh, for wearing masks. If one family decides they want their child to keep wearing masks, that's okay. You know, we just have to realize that people are going to go at different paces here.
3: There's also uh, a lot of people right now suffering from long COVID. And there's a lot of vaccinated and boosted people worried about being infected at all because of the potential that they might get infected with uh, or, or develop long COVID after an infection. What's the latest science on what kind of protection vaccination offers against long COVID?
6: look, it's an important question, and I wish we knew the answer to every question about uh, COVID-19. We've learned a tremendous amount in the last two years, but long COVID is one of the areas where we still need to deepen our understanding here about the frequency of long COVID and, and frankly, about how long it lasts and about who's most at risk for it. A couple of things that we do know, though, based on the data is that uh, people's severity of infection does seem to have an impact on whether or not they're likely to develop long COVID. So more severe infections uh, people tend to be more at risk for prolonged symptoms, um, but we've also seen now in multiple studies that if you get vaccinated and you know in protection from vaccines and boosters, that also lowers your risk significantly of getting long COVID, even if you have a breakthrough infection. Does it reduce it to zero? No, no vaccine or intervention is perfect. And so, for this reason also, I would understand why some people may choose to be more cautious, uh, because even though we think it's a minority of people who get long COVID syndrome, how much, how small or large that minority is, that is exactly what we're trying to understand. And there's not full clarity around that. So, you know, being cautious, I think is appropriate. It's why we, you know, are still urging people, even though you get great protection uh, against hospitalization, death from the vaccines, to still take the precautions you can uh, to avoid spread because again, better to prevent an illness than to get into the consequences thereafter.
2: So just sort of cutting through, We've had a lot of conversations about masks. We're talking about masks endlessly. The administration is now desperately trying to get funding for some of the most miraculous and incredible treatments in the history of public health that millions of people aren't taking. They're not getting boosted. Uh, the availability of some of these, like this new Pfizer treatment, right? It's not available everywhere. It's not something you can just go to the pharmacist and get. It's, 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 uh, 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 it needs to be dispensed carefully because there's not enough of it. How do these th- two things go together? If we get to the point where you can walk into a CVS, get a test, and if it's positive, even if you're not that symptomatic or not symptomatic at all, you still get some kind of a of a treatment to lessen the effect of COVID. If we get to the point where that is, and everyone can get boosted and more people have gotten boosted, do you believe that would be the end of this debate about masks? Because masks would be for people who need to protect themselves, not as a public health measure, but as a personal measure day to day.
6: Well, I certainly think it, it will help a great deal. You know, I think if you have vaccines and boosters readily available to anyone who needs them, if you have effective or, you know, therapeutics available to all uh, who need them, then then yes, you could be in a scenario where the risk of a bad outcome to, to the vast, vast majority of the, uh, the population would be low. Uh, and that would mean that we could, uh, you know, it would be easier and more comfortable for people to pull back on mitigation measures. With that said, uh, there will always will be, I think, some people uh, for whom, uh, you know, the the risk uh, of getting covid uh, may be too great. They may worry about long yeah. COVID. They may be immunocompromised themselves and may have had difficult experiences with their health and they that might lead them to be more cautious. And, and that's okay. But I lastly should mention that on the therapeutics front in terms of availability, every month since January, the availability of these medications like Paxlovid, the highly effective oral uh, therapeutic has actually been increasing. Uh, in fact, there are more therapeutics uh, right now than people are actually using. And some of that might is because cases are lower right now than they have been. But what we want to be prepared for is that if there is another wave, that we have as much available uh, for people as we need. That's why, again, to come back to this funding piece, we don't want to get behind on this. And one of my worries, not just as Surgeon General, but frankly as an American, is I want my country to be ahead of the game. I want us to not be funding things on an emergency basis all the time. We saw this with Zika. We saw this with Ebola. Back then, we were talking about how much how important it was for us to make the proactive forward-thinking investments in the public health infrastructure. So the country wasn't scrambling uh, for funds and for infrastructure when it needed it. And then in the midst of a crisis, um, I worry that we may be falling back into that same mindset again, thinking, okay, you know, COVID seems to be uh, getting better in terms of cases. So we now no longer need to invest in public health interventions and infrastructure. Uh, to me, that would be the equivalent of saying, you know what, I feel pretty fit right now. I've been working out three, four days a week so because i'm fit now i don't need to work out anymore well if i did that then i would ultimately cease to become fit and that would put me at risk uh, in terms of my health and that is what we seem to do so often as a country we need to break that cycle start thinking ahead proactively funding uh, the things that we need to fund and look covid has been a time where we congress didn't to give credit where credit is due on a bipartisan basis during the last two years congress has provided significant funding uh, for the COVID effort. And it's thanks to that leadership, the sacrifices of people around our country, the incredible work of scientists that we've made the progress that we have with vaccines, therapeutics, and so many other interventions. I just don't want us to lose that progress. And I'll lastly say this, look, my most painful moments as a doctor were when I knew what a patient needed. I knew what illness they had. I knew what medicine they needed to save their lives and improve their health, but I couldn't actually get it to them because they didn't have insurance coverage or the medication wasn't available. I don't want us to be in that situation again. I don't want a doctor to have to tell a patient, you know, I know how to save your life, but uh, the country doesn't have money to pay for the booster shot that you need. Or we don't have money as a country to put toward making sure that the medicines are available that could save your lives and lives of your family. It's a conversation we never should have to have because we know how to solve this problem. We just gotta make the smart investments now and not wait uh, continually until a crisis is
2: upon us. It sounds like what you're saying is medically speaking, not passing funding for boosters and treatments now is fucking stupid and nuts. Is that right?
3: <laughs> yes.
4: <laughs> Can we get, did, we get say, did we get him? Did we get him on the record?
3: Dr. Murphy, before he, before he keeps going, um, thank you so much always for coming on the show bailing and him out. And, and walking us, walking us through this with your Calm analysis and advice. We appreciate it. Stupid
2: and nuts, right? <laughs> Stupid and nuts.
6: <laughs> it is not the wisest decision for us as a country. I'll <laughs> there we go. Right. Not the wisest All decision. Right. We'll go with That's that. That's a yes.
2: That's a yes. <laughs> Subtitle it yes. <laughs>
6: so look, look the, the bottom line is, COVID is not quitting. We can't quit either. And I just don't want to see us go down that path because we've sacrificed too much, we've gotten too so far I to give up now.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yell at Congress, everyone. It's up to them. All
6: right. Thank uh, you so thank much, you, Dr. Murphy. We appreciate it. Of course. Good to be with you anytime.
3: Okay, we are back with a very special edition of Take Appreciator. With so many bad takes this week, we figured we needed an extra hand to sort through them. Joining us now is director, comedian, and producer Judd Apatow, whose book, Sicker in the Head, More Conversations About Life and Comedy, is out March 29th. And his new movie, The Bubble, comes out April 1st on
1: Netflix. Judd, thanks for being here. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's good to have you. Uh, before we play that's the a game. Energy. That was a weird energy. <laughs> it was weird energy because I, I, I realize like, you're videotaping it, but yet it feels like you're not.
3: Yeah, that's, that's it. I was just watching an interview
1: I did where they did a Zoom. And in my head, they weren't going to use the video. And I'm looking straight down like a mental patient the whole time because <laughs> I don't think that you're going to see it. And it looks crazy. Like, I look like I'm going to hurt somebody. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm, well, uh, keep that I'm,
3: in mind. So play we'll try like to this. fix that. Yeah, for we this. can cut around that. Yeah. We can cut. <laughs> yep. Um. I just saw the the bubble last night. I laughed very hard throughout the movie. Thank you. Um, and I realized that it's the first piece of entertainment about life during the pandemic that didn't give me PTSD and was actually enjoyable to watch. How did you guys think about
1: that aspect of the movie while you were making it? We just thought at some point someone will do a comedy about this. Why not be the first person to try? You did it. <laughs> what you a terrible it. thing to throw yourself into. But I really couldn't think of anything else to write about because I felt like the world had changed and anything I thought about didn't really exist anymore. And I, and I did need to work or I'd go crazy. So I thought I'd just talk about isolation madness.
2: And did you set out to mock the fact that there is a documentary about the making of Don't Look Up in a Bubble? Is, is, there? That, is that Was that your goal, to rip those people to pieces? <laughs> to really expose them? For their For making their kind of, of Don't Look yeah. Up?
1: It's going to embarrass them. What's funny is the whole time I was talking to everyone else in production, like Adam McKay and the White Lotus people and all the Jurassic people, and we were all having that conversation, like, why are we even attempting this now? That's, that's what felt so weird because they were making movies. I was making a movie about how weird it is to think you need to make a movie at this time. (laughs) But I am making a movie, so I'm a hypocrite in the process of every minute. There were
3: a lot of layers there. I I liked it.
1: I think of
2: you, I assume that at some point we will get the kind of leaked footage, like Tom Cruise on set, of you just screaming with all intensity, saying, we are saving
1: Hollywood. No, that's not what it would be. If someone videotaped me or audiotaped me on set and released what I'm really like, it would be me going... How can you not bring the salsa with the burrito? I can't eat this dry. Why do you have a weird,
2: vaguely Southern accent on set? So Is I that thought that was the... like
1: more
3: Malibu-ish. I don't know.
2: Uh, Malibu? Malibu? When, I'm,
1: when I'm angry, it changes. It, it changes. All. It, all, it turns into it's kind of an angry Jeff Bridges. <laughs> angry Jeff Bridges. <laughs> um, sure.
4: When you worked with Pete Davidson on uh, uh, The King of Staten Island, did you think to yourself, future astronaut,
1: I like guess on again, off again astronaut. It place. does seem like the natural extension yeah, of his of, brand. Of, identity. of of what's happening is that it all leads to space. But doesn't it all lead to space for all of us? Like at some point, don't you get on that list as well where they just go, You guys want to do a show in space?
2: I think it's kinda like
1: not going to space. it's kinda
2: like like um
1: like the vaccine.
2: It'll be really, really hard to get it, and then all of a sudden it'll be really easy to get it. I'm gonna wait <laughs> <Yeah>. till then. <laughs>
1: now let me ask a question about space. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Generally. Mm-hmm. We're the people to ask. Are we talking about space or just like really high? Yeah, like just beyond the atmosphere. Yeah, the Bezos one's just really high, right? Or maybe they pull them they just put like a,
3: you're looking outside the window of the space shuttle and they're just. (laughs) You know, Disney can take you to space, but it does
2: seem there's a a subtle distinction between flying into space and falling. Yes. From very high up for a while. Exactly. And that, that seems to be more of the Jeff
1: Bezos speed. How close are we to the moon here? (laughs) <laughs> like if I'm not pretty close to the moon, if 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 earth doesn't seem really tiny and I'm not crying at the vastness of the universe, aren't I really just flying high? Yeah. For how much is it? What does it cost if you paid to do this? If you have to ask us too much. You it's, know, is it say. a few hundred grand? Like what what are they charging? I mean, I
3: can't believe he's not going anymore just because there was like a scheduling mishap. That that happens like you oh I was supposed to go to space but then
1: I just I had booked a movie so I couldn't go. Kingstan Island too. I, yeah, I hope it's I hope it's something promotional for that benefits me that he's doing instead of going to yeah, space, like the that. new Blu-ray, the new edition yeah. Blu-ray. Oh. <laughs> he's got I got to
2: do I got to do one of the last Blu-ray
4: commentaries. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, something with Kanye, maybe.
3: Uh, should we do this game? Let's let's do Take Appreciator. Elijah do, is our chief take officer here. There he
1: is. One.
3: Hey, Elijah. Judd. this is Elijah
2: yes uh, hello a- Elijah
1: he's a young version of me mm-hmm. if there's ever been a person that's me <laughs> from the past <laughs> that is, it is yeah. Elijah I think that's Try right
5: it. hi Judd hi guys you guys ready to play the game of course sure sure all right I'll explain how it works again real quick I'm going to share some notably bad punetry with you all the producers have seen these takes Judd and the guys have not they'll give their reactions then rate them on a scale of one to four politicos you already said you're ready so let's just get right into it
1: is one this- good or four good
5: F-
3: four so these are bad takes so four is the take is so bad yes and so intentionally bad cuz we're appreciating really bad takes yes. that you're going to give form. it the 4, the art four. Form of four. so the 4 awful. politicos, is a, is a it's a full playbook we call it yeah okay <laughs>
2: Does that make sense to you? The full you understand our a ridiculous inside joke. We're we're talking about the the politico. It's a it's a it. it's a it's a, it. co- it's a congressional you. rag. Thank yes. you. Playbook is their morning, it's their morning digest. We we poke fun. It's a tip
1: sheet. It's a tip sheet, if you will. i give this eleven axiosis. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> <Makes me glad laughs> up. All
5: right. Let's jump into it. This first one caused quite a stir. It's from the New York Times. It's a piece titled America Has a Free Speech Problem. All right, so here's a quote from the piece. For all the tolerance and enlightenment that modern society claims, Americans are losing hold of a fundamental right as citizens of a free country, the right to speak their minds and voice their opinions in public without
1: fear of being shamed or shunned. Well, you know what? The New York Times doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. What a bunch of stupid fucking douchebags. (laughs) You assholes. You assholes. New York Times. Clip it. (laughs) Clip it. (laughs) Wait a second. Clip it. Wait a second. (laughs) I just was allowed to do that. It seemed like you could do it. You were allowed to do that. I guess maybe they're wrong because you may this be is airing though. somewhere. You may mm-hmm. be
3: shunned. You could be shunned. You, you definitely could be oh, shamed. Oh no!
1: Yeah. The the shunning, yeah, the shunning blowback is about to happen. I don't even know if I'm right now. Here's the thing. Call me I, in a week. Let me know if I'm still in the business.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Judd. Jud, here's a question for you: If you
1: were one day shunned, how long would it take for you to find out? Exactly. No one knows who I am to shun me. I would not know. I'm, I, you know. You, see, you know. Here's the thing. I'm learning as I, as I get old. It's really good to be under the radar for the most part. Mm-hmm. You don't really want people to pay that much attention to you. You want just enough attention that you might get into a restaurant when it's crowded. Mm-hmm. but you don't want more than that. You just, and, and you, it's okay if that only happens one out of 10 times you beg the maitre d' and show them I, your IMDb page.
3: I have reached that level, but because my name is John Favreau, like the actor, yes. director, so sometimes I'm let into the crowded restaurant because they thought it was him. But That's when, it's, when it's just me, I, they don't care.
1: But does it work like this, you say, the John Favreau party, and then they're like, oh, is your party here? Yeah, they're coming, and then you sit down and they expect John Favreau to come, and then you're like, no, I'm the John. It's usually, part. just
3: their their face drops when they see me, and I'm like, "Oh, it's John Favreau," and they're yeah. like, oh. like oh,
1: "Or they're like, sorry. John Favreau must be working on some movie where yeah, I like have to shape. slim down for this <laughs> one." Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you're an Avenger now.
3: <laughs> this is, uh...
4: I give it two Politico's. Two Politicos give you reasoning, Tommy. <laughs> because it's stupid, but it's just so tediously stupid that I just I don't care anymore. Yeah, like I can't do the the same cancel culture debate from the New York Times or anybody else. It's just. How many times are we going to have this? I'll
3: be honest is that I did not <laughs> I did not read the entire editorial. I read about half of it and that opening that Elijah read it was like, you know, in, in the Constitution, you know, the, the freedoms, it's like uh, the freedom to assemble and freedom of the press and freedom to not be shunned or shamed. <laughs> just like, like, look, I thought it was a dumb editorial. I also think that people got to let stop letting themselves get triggered by the New York Times a little bit. You know, like if you want to cancel your subscription, to New York Times, that's fine. You can yeah. cancel if you want. But I would just say that, like, maybe, you know, don't subscribe to a newspaper, just to make sure that the opinions columns are right in line with your views,
1: subscribe because of the journalism in the paper. I remember Roger Ebert saying heavyweights wasn't good. Was that cancel culture? <laughs> That's the, No, Tommy's <laughs> right. It's the, 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 Ill,
3: the ill-defined, vague nature of this he debate is what North. makes it infuriated.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like people have been trying to cancel me from day one, and I You're was still here all they, the time. Freaks and Geeks was canceled. Ben show yeah. was canceled. Undeclared 600, 600 Penn, cancel culture. Is, is that cancel yeah. culture? Uh, I'll give it three still <laughs> so should go back to the game yeah. still so was his yeah i'll give it i'm bored i'm bored of bored the new lines. york times talking about it why did not they just talk about like shouldn't everyone get the day off to vote and just write about that every day for a year there you That's go good one.
5: national holiday
1: for and we like give columbus day to the voting thing you know you get rid of columbus day and you give everyone the day off and then we just vote
5: Easy with that. I'm, I'm Italian, so let's hold the brakes <laughs> Oh, no. Cancel, Elijah. <laughs> Cancel. What do you got? What do you got?
3: Give us another take, Elijah.
5: All right. This one needs some context. Let's go to a place where we definitely need some shaming and possibly shunning. The Ohio Republican Senate primary uh, this weekend during a debate, Republican Senate frontrunners Mike Gibbons and Josh Mandel almost got into a physical altercation on stage. Mandel got out of his chair and got about an inch from Gibbons' face. To paint a picture, Gibbons is about 70 years old. It had a dude off. <laughs> Gibbons told Mandel, you're dealing with the wrong dude, man. To which Mandel replied, no, you're dealing with the wrong guy. Then one of them called the other one a pussy. It's unclear who. The whole time, J.D. Vance was shifting around uncomfortably in the seat. <laughs> <laughs> this one's really more about that setup than the actual take. Is there a take? was the take,
1: yeah. <laughs> You just want to tell that story, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Where did this happen? I, I missed the. It happened in Ohio. Ohio, the Ohio, Senate, Ohio. The Republican Senate debate They're in the, the middle primary of the, yeah. the Senate Senate yeah. debate, and the J.D. Vance movie was wonderful. <laughs> 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 Do you think Ron Howard sits around going like, "I guess I didn't quite understand what I, I was dealing with there"? <laughs> room for a sequel. I, like the wardrobe war—it was interesting. It's like the lawyer in the movie about the Atlanta bombing. Right? That's mm-hmm. the same guy who was part of January 6th, right? It, it was, uh, yeah. What's his name? I, that's a connection yeah. I'm really understanding that you're connect- making. Remember, he represented the Atlanta bomber. Oh, uh, that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah. What, Richard he? Jewell?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was the... But he wasn't
1: the bomber. We he was the bomber, the bomber. But Richard Jewell, who was not the bomber. <laughs> not the bomber. Uh, well, uh, yeah, we don't want to get, well, he's dead. He can't sue now. But still, just to get it right, uh, just for uh, his uh, memory. <laughs> well, uh, Linwood, right? Linwood. Linwood! Linwood. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so now, suddenly, that movie's a little different because you're like, mm, mm. come on, Linwood. Yeah. And anyone mm. anyone whose full name sounds like one small town is weird. So is the take the dude yeah, off? Yeah. What, yeah, yeah what what what's the, the take, fucking Elijah? take, alive? Well, I haven't
5: right. even gotten to the take. The take is, remember, Josh Mandel was starting to a 7 year old man. The take is... Three things are true. One, Josh Mandel is a national embarrassment. Two, Josh Mandel is the second worst candidate for the Republican primary. JD Vance is worst. Three, Josh Mandel would still be a better senator than Democratic candidate Tim (gasps) Ryan.
3: Is that? A take from Mike Gibbons?
6: (laughs) It's not. Guesses. Uh, Whose take is
2: that? One, two, three. Hugh Hewitt.
6: Nope.
3: No, no,
5: he wouldn't. It it is a bad pundit, though.
4: Now we're just into random guessing. guessing. Okay,
5: give
3: it. Give us the. Give us the. Uh, give us the name. The take person. There's
5: Dan McLaughlin. Oh, baseball, baseball crank.
1: Baseball crank. I feel like Glenn Close should pl- Should be the senator, but in, in that the character in the from moomoo. the J.D. Vance in the movie. That's full, good. In the full she, Moomoo. Yeah, she has. To, she has to be in <laughs> the Moomoo. She has to talk like that every time she's on the Senate floor.
3: Wow. Uh, I don't know. Baseball crank sucks. Uh, I, he gets three. <laughs>
4: I give that four. As much as I dislike J.D. Vance josh mandel would be far worse as a senator he's a bona fide lunatic well there are, yeah yeah
2: yeah I'm, I'm gonna give that um i'm only gonna give that one i'm gonna give that one politico in part because it's not it's um it's a it's a it's a it's a a, a complicated take for a simple situation there you go
5: there you go all right last take elijah all right this one's short and sweet uh it's just a tweet the real March Madness is taking place in Ukraine at the hands of Putin aggression.
3: Oh, no.
2: Damn
5: it. Why? Oh. Judd, why did you tweet? Uh, yeah, that? that's it. The <laughs>
2: handle was at Judd Apatow <laughs>
1: <laughs> with uh, that trademark wit. Twitter is not what it used to be. I, <laughs> I, I feel like I want to start a new Twitter account where I only follow like film nerds like i i want to remove everyone like now i just have hundreds of of angry people I with that too like should i have a, a completely different a- account just for like when cats make noises that sounds like words you know <laughs> like i need the happy twitter space
2: yeah yeah no i think that's right i think that's elijah
1: right. who tweeted that uh
5: mark Noller. Former, oh, CBS oh, News
0: oh, I know,
4: I know Mark well. CBS News broadcaster. Um, Twitter, I, Twitter gets the best of him. I That's mean the
3: it is—it just breaks everyone. In, in
2: fairness, <laughs> okay, rhetoric aside, okay. it is madness, and it is taking place in March. You know, I don't enjoy the pun. I don't think it was necessary.
3: Um, I don't think he was trying, so I'm giving it one because I don't think it—he was trying to, to 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 spit out a bad take there. Uh,
2: Judd. Would you ever uh, bring yourself to tweet a photo of a chalk drawing that says, "In a world of Putin's, be a Zelensky"? In a world of Putin's, in a world of Putin's, be a Zelensky. Do you find that inspiring?
1: It makes me want to kill myself. Yeah, I think this is this raises a question that I keep thinking about, which is maybe humor should be eliminated. <laughs> No, I'm not against it. It's something, look. No, all humor. No, I'm saying, I'm not not joking. I feel like, do you think that we don't actually get to the root of everything we should know and care about, and do we not inform ourselves because Putin on a horse becomes a joke for five years, and then we don't really go, oh no, he's the devil, and he's preparing mass slaughter, and we made him, you know, like a funny villain.
3: We've had experience with that here.
1: Yes. Well, Kim Jong Un, Kim Jong
4: Il, right? Similar deal: the sunglasses, the hair, the outfits. You, you laugh it off instead yeah. of saying, "Oh, you know, they're,
1: they're killing millions of people." We mm-hmm. need. I mean, obviously, we have to process things, and we need some of that. But I do. When things get really bad, you're like, "We probably should have informed people about what's actually happening this right fucking now." This well, guy well, Judd makes Abatella a came whole on, career out came of comedy. Shut the to, door try, behind him. Judd's trying to cancel humor. I'm canceling myself. <laughs> I'm taking myself out of you're the equation. You're just gonna equation. do
3: the Booker sicker. The book is sicker in the head. By
1: but... <laughs> that's my final project before I uh, leave the business. No, you're gonna because do. You're gonna do. Humor has let Plan us down. You're, you're gonna do
2: your one-hour photo. You're gonna do your insomnia. You're gonna do your serious
1: kick. It's time. This uh, is 50. Is gonna be incredibly serious. Very sad. I'm gonna go to a place that no one wants me to go. You know, I I consider myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always say I consider myself the michael jordan of stand-up comedy because i'm really for michael, baseball for baseball because <laughs> no one knows why i do it i i won't stop and i'm not good at it
2: can i ask you a question <laughs> can I ask you another question uh how proud were you as a
1: dad when you got the text from mod saying that she was
2: in euphoria
1: well let me tell you anytime your nervous? child gets a job you're like okay but then employment, you're employment like, uh mm. and then the well the important call is i play the nice girl Oh, that, then you're okay. okay you know the bad call is hey dad next season they've decided my character takes a turn mm. and then that's that's where you get you get concerned but have you seen it have you watched it have you gotten through it all mm, not yet okay It they really kind of pull it off I mean if you watch the two years
3: I watched the first season it, and I'm, it, getting, I'm trying to steal myself for the second season because it's a lot
1: it's pretty remarkable what he did if you look at it as a two-year story okay uh it, it, it's really first season was fantastic. incredible i mean i want to it's just a, you know you gotta right headspace for it you know well as a parent i mean anytime you see that but then i think about what we were doing at science at high what were we right? doing uh what Ninten- were you guys doing nintendo 64 shitty weed i was stealing people's uh radar detectors <laughs> i think you and i had a different experience i think
2: you and i had a different couple of years at science in high school
1: yeah i know you were you on the debate team uh, no, but I, I was the president of the school radio station. <laughs> oh, okay. So you I outnerded you, my friend. Yeah, we, you did. Yeah. And you have. Yes. And you will. Okay. I will continue to. Uh,
3: Judd Apatow, thank you for joining Pod Save America here in studio. We thank appreciate you. it. Everyone go see the bubble. Bye, sicker in the head. Uh, and, uh, thank you also to Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, for joining <laughs> <laughs> us. We did have another serious guest. Hard thank pivot, you to... Who yeah. has already canceled humor.
1: Is <laughs> this better or worse than
3: your smart list
1: interview? Do you know that he was... The consultant, he worked for Netflix when we made The Bubble. When I had to make calls with the cast that, to huh. say, How do we do this safely? Dr. Murphy did it? That is who we spoke to. Wow. Because you can't ignore him. And he's like, It's not real. He's wonderful. I'm, and he, and, and we, didn't have one, we didn't have one case it, the entire year. Wow. So he, he we knows didn't his test. stuff.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was his advice. <laughs> Hey, if you don't know, can't hurt you. That's Doctor Murthy for it. that's a that's a tip from Doctor Murthy. Yes. In between his stints as Surgeon General, don't test. Yeah. It's best not to know. All Can right, shoot? everyone.
3: We'll talk to you Thursday. Bye. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our senior producer is Andy Gardner Bernstein. Our producer is Haley Muse, and Olivia Martinez is our associate producer. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis sound engineer the show. Thanks to Tanya Sominator, Sandy Gerard, Hallie Kiefer, Ari Schwartz, Andy Taft, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Milo Kim, and Amelia Montooth. Our episodes are uploaded as videos at youtube.com slash crookedmedia.